0: We're going to go ahead and jump right into the word. Um, Last week we were in Romans, not Romans, we'll be there though. (laughs) Uh, Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 through 14 and we're going to continue what we were talking about last week. So we're going to jump in. If you want to stand with me, we're going to read Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 through 14. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and I thank you for the presence and power of your Holy Spirit who indwells us and who applies the work of Christ to our lives. God, I thank you that everything that we need for life and godliness, you have supplied in your son, Jesus Christ, and and all of those characteristics, you are are pressing into us and our being by the power and work of your Holy Spirit through your word. God, I pray that right now you would do that work, that by your word we would hear, that we would be convicted so that we might repent of selfishness, of idolatry, of focusing on things we ought not to focus on, and that we might instead turn and step into those things that you've called us to do and live by. God, I pray that you would make us people who reflect the character and nature of Christ, Make me a person who care, who reflects the character and nature of Christ, not just outwardly, but inwardly. God, I pray that you would shape our hearts according to your word. You would shape our affections according to Christ, that the things that he cares about, we would care about. The things that break his heart would break our hearts. The things that he was excited about and is excited about would excite us, the things that... Make him upset and angry that they would make us upset and angry. That we would be truly little Christs. Accomplish that, I pray, by your power. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. So last week we talked about this idea of putting on these characteristics of Christ. And and really I spent the majority of the time talking about our identity, because it is our identity that really empowers our behavior. What we believe about ourselves and what we believe about the world around us are, are the things that, that give rise to behavior. That's right. and, and sometimes it, it goes so deep that we don't even realize we believe certain things, you know, the way we were treated as a child, the things that were said about us, they become rooted inside of us, and we may not be able to see below the surface, but we recognize there's something about who we think we are, something below the surface about who we exist as that, that gives rise to behaviors. And so sometimes we find ourselves looking at our, the fruit in our life and we're saying, what's going on? And so I tried to, to spend a great deal of time talking about who we are. Some of you need to uproot some false beliefs about who you, who you are. Some of you were told that, that you're not worth it, that you're not loved, that you're not good enough, that, that you will never be able to do X, Y, or Z. And these are things that were rooted deep inside you. And, and the challenge is, A lot of times these things get rooted in us because there are partial truths. You know, we are sinners. We do face challenges. We do do bad things. But God says that he chooses to love us because he chooses to love us. We are God's chosen people. We are holy and beloved. When we come into this relationship with Jesus Christ, when we see his life and his death and his resurrection and recognize, oh my goodness, that's the only way I can connect with God. And we stop trying to make our own way we stop trying to self-justify we stop trying to create our own standard of righteousness but instead we begin to trust in jesus and allow jesus to define who we are when we do that then we find out that we're we're a chosen people we're holy and we're beloved we talked about this idea of chosen people that god chooses us that he chose us before the foundations of the world that that he decides that he wants us, and he doesn't look and say, "Well, you know, I see that that Bill, you're going to do a good job, and you're going to you're going to be a good guy later in life, so I'm going to choose you." No, he chooses us because he chooses us. He, we we talked about how we're holy, we're set apart, and and when in, in, at the Lord's table, I was trying to, to paint a picture, and if the Bible tries to paint a picture of, of what it takes to to set us apart, that there's blood that has to be shed to cleanse us. And if you, if you step away from the religiosity that we live in, that's a weird thing to say. You would never say, oh man, my shirt, it's dirty, let me grab some blood. and Smear that on there. And that's, that's, that's there for a point. The Bible's trying to make a point, God's trying to make a point that, that it takes death to address our sin, it takes death to address our impurity. It takes death to address our need. But God cleanses us and he makes us holy. And then he talked, we talked about how we're beloved. Family, you are loved. You're loved. You're not loved because of your performance. You're not loved because you did well this week. You're not loved because, you, you know, for the last 10 seconds you were, you were obeying the, the 10 commandments and you hadn't messed up. You're loved because he has chosen to love you. I love my kids because they're my kids. Sometimes they do awesome. Sometimes they do poorly. I love them all the time. I may do so imperfectly as a father, but God does so perfectly. So we are in Christ. We are uh, chosen people, holy and beloved. This is who we are. And, And so the question I have today is, what does that give rise to? What should that give rise to? How should we live in light of the fact that you can, can sit and find peace, not in your, your performance or your behavior, not in your past, not in your, your situation, not in what you do, but in who God has made you to be? What can that give rise to? Paul talked about putting to death some things, and today he says, put on these characteristics. Now, he, he uses similar language, and before we get into that, I want to I skip over to Romans. I told you guys we're going to do Romans, so... We're going to go over to Romans, Um, you you can write this down or you can go there if you'd like, but Romans chapter 13, Romans chapter 13 verse 14, Um, Paul is actually talking to the Romans and he's saying, you know, don't act in foolishness, uh, don't be sinful, uh, don't be, you know, don't walk in sexual immorality or in quarreling or jealousy, so he kind of uh, uh, a truncated version of what he has said to us. And in verse 14, he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So in Colossians, we hear him say, put off these sinful desires and these sinful behaviors and and put on these good characteristics. And in Romans, he says, he, he summarizes it and he says, make no provision for the flesh and what? Put on Christ." See, ultimately, what we're trying to do is not to become better people. Christianity is not a, a home improvement, a lifestyle improvement, a self-help uh, a process or strategy. Because Christianity says you can't. Jesus says you can't. There's a story where Jesus is—he's um, teaching, and, and this young man, or we think he might be a young man, comes to him and he says, "You know, Lord." What do I need to do to, be, do to be saved? And Jesus basically kind of lists off the Ten Commandments. You know, you need to follow these laws, you know, obey God, love the Lord your God, don't commit adultery, don't murder, etc. cetera. Um, and the guy says, I did it. And what's interesting is he starts out the conversation and, and the young man comes to him and says, good teacher. He, he addresses him and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And before Jesus launches in and gives them the answer, he says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And what Jesus wasn't doing in that moment was saying, I'm not good. He was saying, if you're calling me good, are you going to obey me like I'm God? And the guy said, well, yeah, I've got it. I'm good. I've got it. But Jesus' point was, no, only God is good. By implication, what are we? Not good. It's okay. Let's just get that on the table. Look at your neighbor and say, I love you, but you're not good. Yeah, it's hard to say to your spouse. That's right. <laughs> For some of you, it's easy to say to your spouse. No. But that's okay. That is okay. Right? That is, that's our starting point. Let's, let's not pretend Right? You're not good. I'm not good. We're not good. Good. Why? Because God is good. And so, God is not trying to have us improve upon not good. He's trying to take us from death to life, from self to Christ. And so, he says, put on Christ. In Colossians Chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, I see you as Christ. Daughter, I see you as Christ. Son, I see you as Christ. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And, and if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so much you, you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Put on... On compassionate hearts, some some translations say compassion. One, one, <laughs> one commentary talked about bowels of mercy, because the word there is not it's not heart; it's actually like guts. Right? In, in in Jesus's time period and Paul's time period they, they kind of felt like the center of being was your guts and and you know that because you know when you look at that special someone you're it's not your heart up here maybe your heart goes gets a little bit faster and starts to be faster but there's something you have butterflies in your what stomach not in your chest down here and when you get angry sometimes you might feel a tension here when you get upset you might feel sick and so they associated this visceral, res- rem- emotional response with guts, and so uh, G- Jesus is saying here, or well, Paul is saying here rather, uh, love people, have compassion towards people, uh, be, be merciful towards people, people in, in your, in your, in your viscera. So that's a word we don't like to use, but uh, in, in your deepest part of who you are, right? This isn't just uh, a pleasant. Uh, this isn't a pleasantry. This isn't politeness. This isn't southern hospitality. You know, my parents are, my dad's from the south. My mom's from South Korea. So we're from the south. We, we do things and we're kind. And, and there's some pleasantries that you do. And you've heard, bless her heart. There are things that you say that sound nice, but they're not nice. And if, as a side note, if someone says bless your heart, they're, they feel bad for you for some reason. Something you've done is dumb, you're not wearing the right thing, or you smell funny, it doesn't matter. Bless your heart, you bless their heart back. No, just forget them. Um, he says, compassionate hearts, and, and he's saying, I want you to love people in a way that digs down deep, that goes beyond surface surface statements and surface behaviors, that gets beyond Pretense. I want you to have compassionate hearts. Love characterized by mercy. It means loving in a merciful way. Being able to see something besides judgment towards someone else. Compassion is looking at someone and saying, I could see myself in that person's situation and I can feel the way they might feel. And feeling that way for people that you feel like you ought not to feel that way about. That was a convoluted sentence. Paul is calling us to feel that way about people we might be tempted to judge. You might sit and say, oh man, did you hear what that guy said? You see how that person acted? You see what they wore? And we stand in judgment when Paul is calling us to put on Christ. And and when he dealt with sinners, he treated them with compassion. He didn't condone their sin but he loved them in their sin. He invited them into his holiness, but he did so from a place of compassion. He calls us to be compassion, to put on compassionate hearts. In John chapter three, no, not chapter three, sorry, John chapter 11, we see this story of Jesus going to, to visit Lazarus. Now, people had come and told told Jesus that Lazarus was sick, Uh, and and he knew that Lazarus was sick. And and the Bible says, so he waited. Some translations try to wiggle, and they're like, that didn't make sense, and they try to change it to yet he waited. But Jesus knew he was going to die, so he waited that he might die. I want you to hear that. Jesus wanted Lazarus to die because he had a greater purpose for him in his life. And he, and he says this, um, he goes and he visits Mary and Martha and the people, and they're weeping. Lazarus is in the tomb. He is dead. Jesus has, has drug his feet, dragged his feet. And in verse 28, uh, Martha talks to Jesus and says this, when she had said this, she went, I'm sorry, when when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you, verse 29, and when she heard it, Mary ran quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Martha rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. They have lost their brother. Why? He knew what was going to happen. He wasn't confused. It was his plan. Jesus had a compassionate heart. Paul tells us that we are to weep with those who weep, mourn with those who... No, sorry, Jesus tells us that we are to mourn with those who mourn. Mourn with those who mourn. He had a compassionate heart. Life in this world is not just about having the right answers, and I say that to myself. I say that to our husbands as well. Husbands, life is not just about having the right answer, right? So often, you know, there's a problem and you're like, I've got the solution, and the solution is not what's desired. It's, it's a compassionate heart. It's about being able to connect with others enough to feel what they feel, right? You can have the right answer. You can be correct. You can be doctrinally accurate and not and, and completely miss the point. And I love doctrine. If you've hung out with me at all, talk to Jermaine. I love doctrine to a fault. I love talking about theology. I love thinking about theology. But theology is the servant of God. And it's intended to create relationships where Jesus is glorified and enjoyed and people are loved sacrificially. He calls us to compassionate hearts. He calls us to not only that, but Kindness. It's often described as goodness. The word is translated goodness as it refers to God. It's this idea of treating people well. Treating them in, in a, a positive manner. Kindness is, is it's being kind. It's not, it's not just being nice. Again, it's not bless your heart. It's not politeness. But there's a desire to be a blessing to a person. In Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 7, Paul says, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Um, That is not my verse. We're going to keep moving. Okay, Uh, kindness. We are to be kind. He goes on and he talks about humility. Humility, we're supposed to be humble. How humble? If you look at Philippians chapter 2. We get a picture of the kind of humility that we are to walk in. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the, in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, if, if you've been paying attention at all, Philippians, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Humility is not just thinking uh, poorly about yourself, it's not thinking, oh, I'm, I'm a bad person, I'm terrible, and you know I'm worse than the worst. It's not Eeyore. Humility is not thinking about yourself and thinking about other people. It's focusing on people and trying to think about their needs, their desires, their wants, and being a conduit of, of grace and love to them. Let each of you, verse 4, look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. God, God, and all that entails, creator of all things powerful, um, omniscient, knowing all things, omnipresent everywhere, omnipotent, capable of doing whatever he pleases, humbles himself, taking the form of a baby. And babies are fun. When I had our kit babies, uh, I learned about the, I've talked about this before, but I learned about the, um, there's a reflex that if you kind of hold your baby and don't do this, you know, Your mileage may vary. Don't do this. I did not condone it. Um, But if you do this with your baby, they'll put their arms out to try and grab you. The startle reflex. They have no control over it. That's just what they do. They startle. It's it's hilarious. (laughs) Jesus had a startle reflex. There's nothing in the Bible that suggests that he was you know, a different kind of, he was a cool baby who didn't need a startle reflex. Like, he didn't come out of the womb talking. He had to learn things. He had to be potty trained. Right? God had to be potty trained. And that's, that sounds crazy, but Jesus is God. He, it, we're not just saying that Jesus, the human person, and God, the, the God person, are separate. he's one God. Two natures, 100%, one person. He humbled himself to the point of being a servant, and he humbled himself to the point of com- committing himself to be murdered. When you, when you are wrestling with humility, oh, why do I have to be humble? Why don't people think about me? Just remember that Jesus is kind of quietly standing behind you. And he, he loves you, and he, he cares about you. But anything that you and I face as it relates to humility compares in no way to the humility that Jesus exercised. He wants us to be humble. He wants us to be meek. That means having strength under power. He wants us to be meek. That means not needing to demand your right. It means not needing to prove your strength. It means not needing to perform so that people might see things, but being able to love people even though you might be able to show them how strong you are, how, how accomplished you are, how, how ex- acceptable you might be. we to be meek. In Luke chapter 18, we see Jesus and the disciples and in verse 15, it says this. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to them saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belong the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now, Jesus was interested in little people coming to him and being a blessing to them. And the cool thing about most children is they can tell When you're fake, I'll put it politely, they can tell when you're fake, they can tell when you are trying to present a a facade, and they can tell when you're just actually interested in in talking to them and looking at them and and smiling. And you know these people, you know the people that are, are, they're meek people, they're strong, but there's a sense of gentleness that that accompanies it, that, that children just come to them we had a, um, uh, Larry, who, who used to serve in, in the kid builders. He was meek in a kind of wild way. And like, he, he was the Pied Piper of, of children. And he, I feel like he had like three or four on him, you know, like a dog has fleas. I mean, just, he had children, do- children are not fleas. Don't quote me. But you get my point. And that, I mean, they do jump like the children would jump on him and probably scratch. I don't know. The point is he was he was a strong guy. I mean, he did kettlebells and you know, he was constantly working out. He had muscles on his muscles. They were doing workouts. <laughs> I think uh, and but he was he was meek. There was a there was a gentleness about him. And kids were drawn to it. They knew that they could wrestle him, but it would be safe. God wants us to live in such a way that people can come to us and interact with us and they can see that we're strong, but we're safe. We're not going to hurt them. We're not going to harm them. We're not going to be rough with them. We're not going to be overbearing or domineering or impatient. We're not going to use our strength, our position to, to put people down. I mean, you think about Jesus. Again, on the cross, the, the most powerful, I mean, the, the person for whom all of creation was created the Bible talks about that all things are for him and through him and to him. That's not just flowery, flowery language. That The creation is for God. It's to glorify God, and he is on the cross. And what is he doing? Exercising the greatest amount of meekness that one could ever experience in all of existence. He could have crushed them in a moment. He could have just said, no more. He would have been fine to do it. He would have been just to do it. He would been right to do it. He would have been well within his rights to do it. And he is meek. He talks about being patient, that we're to be patient. In James chapter 1, we see this picture of patience. Patience is, is not just not losing your cool while you're in line, but it is not losing your cool while you're in line. James says this, guys, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. Pause. What did you say, James? I want you to think of all your trials. Put them on the table, on the dining room table. Think about all your trials. That issue at work, that annoying coworker, the challenge in your marriage, that kid who just won't stop doing whatever it is that you want them to stop doing or they won't do what you want them to do. That that family member that keeps sending you those... Pictures or the videos that you don't need, or the, the chain mail or whatever it is. All of your issues, the health issues, the the frustration you have with this administration or that administration or government, with this choice or that choice, all your trials. And Paul said, or uh, James says, look at these things and count it all joy. And we look at it and we say, well, I'm going to count it all a big pile of junk. And I hate it. But James says, part of what God is doing in this, these trials are purposeful. Even the ones that you don't think are purposeful are purposeful. Because God is at work in you. And he says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God wants us to be patient. He doesn't... He, he, he doesn't want us to be despondent. Patience says, I know that there is an end coming. I know that I have a hope ahead. You may not see that hope in this lifetime, but there is a hope ahead. Despondency looks at the situation and says, This is a mess, period. Right? Patience says, This is a mess, but there is God's grace and God's plan and God's hope and God's future, period. Despondency says, this is a mess, this is a mess, this is a mess, period. Yeah. Count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith diverse, uh, develops perseverance or steadfastness. We've talked about compassion hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Do you see that this is how Jesus lives his life? Yeah. There we go, amen. Yeah. Do you see that Jesus lived his life this way. In Hebrews it says that for the joy that was set before him Christ endured the cross. He was patient with the process because he knew that he had a hope and a future. He knew the ending. If you're in Christ, you know the ending. It may not be super clear, but you know the ending. For some of you, you know the ending, but you need to be reminded of the ending. You've you've lost sight of the ending. This is why Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1-4, through 4, what we talked about a number of weeks back, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, not the things above, or not the things below. Set your mind on the things above. Think about the future. Think about the hope you have. Because then you can be patient, like Jesus was patient. And he goes on and he, and he says, bearing with one another in love. Now, up to this point, you could kind of fake it, maybe. You could call yourself humble. You could say... You're kind. You can say you're compassionate, but now you have to deal with people. You have to actually deal with people. And he says, "Bearing with one another in love." And he, I, I love it because Paul, at certain points, he recognizes. He says, "You know what? I, I've been to church too. <laughs> I know that church people are a challenge because I'm a challenge. I know that people in the world are a challenge because people in the world are a challenge." And I'm a, right. What did we say? I'm not good. I'm not good, you're not good, we're not good. When we get together and have a party, it's not good. <laughs> right? By associate proper prop, whatever, property. But, but he calls us and he says, in another place, he says, as, as well as you can, live at peace with other people. Like, just do your best, guys. And here he says, just bear with one another in love. Can I just say that you're going to come to this church and people might peeve you off. They might upset you and they might... They might make you unhappy. They will. JC is more honest than I am. <laughs> they will, he says. They will. If, if you're trying to go, come to a church that's perfect and, and happy and everyone treats you the best and, and it's just wonderful, you're seeking to be worshipped. You're not seeking to go to church. I love you, family. I'm there with you. I don't want people to tell me, you know what? Your sermon was okay. I really liked it when so-and-so came. (laughs) That may or may not have happened. I don't know. Or like, have you listened to this podcast with this pastor or preacher? Tell me more about it. That's fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. I'm not wounded at all. What are we even talking? Bearing with one another. So, um... (laughs) I love you guys. And, and can I just say that, like, if you come here and people are mean to you, they probably got stuff going on in their own life. And they probably, it was just a mess getting to church. Just cut people some slack. Bear with one another in love. Paul says in, in Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, you know, love believes all things. Just believe the best. You know what? They probably just had some terrible coffee. You know? I I was on seven. I bet they were cut off. It, It probably had nothing to do with me. And he goes on and he says, forgiving one another. He doesn't just say forgiving one another, but he says this, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. You know, what I appreciate about this text is he says, if you have a complaint with someone, he doesn't say, go talk to them and tell them that complaint after church. Just let them know. Let's be honest. Let's have some transparency with one another. Because, because good communication fosters growth. No, he says, deal with your problem. Forgive. And if you're just standing there, I don't want to forgive Jesus. He says, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must, must forgive. Right? Paul, he, he was around people. He knew. It's not like this is a new thing. He was saying, you guys need to forgive. And everyone said, no, I don't. And he said, Jesus. And everyone was like, oh, okay. Right? Jesus. And, and I, I joke and we're talking about silly things, but some of you are wrapped up in unforgiveness. There have been people who have wounded me in my life. And I've had to wrestle with God and, and choose to forgive. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Jesus, or Paul's not saying feel a way about people. He's saying, give up your right to be a debt collector. Here's my right to be a debt collector. Jesus, I'm laying it at the foot of the altar. Not picking that back up. And then when you pick it back up and you get anger again because you think about that thing that person did, you say, God, I forgive that person. I lay down my right to be a debt collector. And then when you do it again, you come back. You talk to your spouse, you talk to your friend, I am struggling to not let, to to forgive this person, and you do it again, and again, and again, and again. And Peter says, how often do we have to forgive Jesus? A lot, Four, four times, or seven times, 70 times, 490 times. He was being hyperbolic, a lot, all the time, many times. If Jesus did it for all of humanity, for all of those who would trust in him, We can do it. You can do it. I don't minimize the the wounds that you've experienced. I don't minimize the way that people have hurt you. Some of you have experienced radical, heinous, terrible, evil, wicked things at the hands of terrible, wicked, evil people. And forgiving is not saying that was okay. Forgiving is saying, Jesus, you are an avenger. And everyone's going to get what they deserve one way or another. And I don't have to be the one who exacts that. And you say, I trust Jesus. We forgive one another. When we put on Christ, when we think about not just Can I do this, God? Can I be compassionate, God? Can I be kind? Can I be humble? Can I be meek? Can I be patient? Can I bear with others? Can I forgive? The answer is no. You're not good. I'm not good. But when we put on Christ, Christ is good. He finishes it off and he says this. Above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Lest we be confused. Love people. If you don't know what that is, Just go, this is your homework. Every day this week, husbands, do it for your wives. Wives, do it for your husbands. Parents, do it for your children. Go to 1 Corinthians, which is after Romans, not before Romans, and read this. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and can understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains and move the Blue Ridge Mountains west, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver my body to be burned, but not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Christ is patient and kind to you. Christ is not envious or boastful. He is not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way. On earth, he did not insist on his own way. He willingly went to the cross. He is not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. He has borne all things. He's believed all things that his fathers told him. He's hoped all things. He's endured all things. And when you put on Christ, you are patient and kind. You do not envy or boast. You are not arrogant or rude. You do not insist on your own way. You are not irritable or resentful. You are not keeping a record of wrongs. You do not rejoice in wrongdoing, but you rejoice in truth. You bear all things. You believe all things. You hope all things. You endure all things. And with Christ, you will not end. Your life will not end. Love is what we need to put on. Because Christ is what we need to put on. Christ has loved. He has loved you. And he calls us to more than just morality. He calls to a radical commitment to living in light of what he's done and living to be like him. It's a lie that you can't forgive. It's a lie that you can't bear with one another. It's a lie that you can't be humble. It's a lie that you can't be kind. It's a lie that you can't be patient. Those are lies from the pit of hell because that's God's intention for your life. That's God's intention for your life. That's God's intention for this church. For us to be a loving people, a patient people, a kind people, a meek people. And he's gonna do it. He's gonna do it, family. Let's pray. God, you're forming something in this congregation today. You're forming something in this congregation this week. You're forming something in this congregation. You are forming Christ in us. And we receive it. We receive it, God. God, I pray for those who have struggled to forgive, and I pray that you would give them a sense of the forgiveness that they've been given in you. Not so that they might feel shame or embarrassed for not doing it, but so they might feel courage. Courage to say, I'm going to let go of this. I'm going to stop being self-protective. I'm going to stop holding on to this offense because I feel like it it keeps me safe, and I'm going to trust in you, God. Break the bonds of unforgiveness, I pray. Make us a people who are radically loving, who are radically giving, who are willing to be hurt and wounded if it means loving people like Christ loves. Pour out your love on this people, I pray in Jesus' name. Pour out your people, God. Pour out your love on your people. Pour out your power on your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, family.